prepare to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. It is Friday, April the 28th, and we are off and running. We are live on Rumble right now. If you are in the Rumble chats, give me a little thumbs up telling me that you can hear this uh, transmission. We're going to be talking about FOIA. A lot of you have heard a lot about FOIA. You have heard that it is an opportunity for you to get access to government information. But really, is that such a thing? Is there free access to information as this law indicates it should be? How long has FOIA been around? Does it work? Does it work for the people that are doing it? We're going to talk about a specific case example where we know that that is not the case. That FOIA is kind of a misnomer. There is not free access to information because there are, like so many things when it comes to government service, a ton, a ton of exceptions. All right. Um, I want to start off with a little bit of the clown show that we're dealing with in this country. Something a little lighthearted because it is Friday morning. And uh, we're going to end on something maybe a little bit darker, but something I want you to think about as you uh, as you work into the weekend here. Thanks for the thumbs up in the chat. I do see those things coming in, folks. There's a slight delay between us. So that's one of the fun things about playing this game here. Um, let's let's dive right into this thing. Uh, One of the funniest things that happened this week, it's also sad because this is the this is the president of the United States. We had a reporter from the Los Angeles Times who was outed for giving questions to the Biden administration in advance. Now, some of this stuff is not new, right? Everybody sort of knew that he was getting the names. He was um, they were setting up friendlies in the audience. We've seen him. Um, have these cheat sheets that say who he's supposed to call on and and uh, maybe even the topic, but the exact question phrased out for him. I, I don't know. It's really embarrassing. So we're going to look at this uh, this piece from Red State. This is Bonchi. I've been reading Red State for a very long time. I think that uh, if you're not reading it, you're missing out on a lot of the information. One of the things you can do that would be fantastic for your sort of um, your general awareness is is diversify the things that you're getting your your news from. For a long time, my wife would only read things on Daily Wire, um, which is a good news source. And there's some good people there. We're going to cover a story that Daily Wire did. I've got some friendly reporters over there that uh, that do good work. But if you're not diver- diversifying the sort of source of news, the voices that you're hearing from, and that should also include things on the left, we're going to cover some of those today. If you're not looking over and see what CNN has, then you're going to miss out on it. Or you can come to our show and we'll talk about some of it. You can talk to people like Dan Bongino's show who do current events. That's not really my game. My game is a little bit more on the long form uh, analysis, so I don't want to get into anybody else's business. But let's talk about this one right here. It says a reporter who secretly gave Biden questions in advance gets relentlessly trolled. Uh, there was a time... And I know that Matt Taibbi has talking about it. Uh, there was a time when reporters were a blue-collar profession. There was a time when these people spent their time trying to hold the powerful accountable, right? Like that was the purpose of journalism. It was the reason why people went into that profession. It was a place where you could say, I'm just a guy and I've got this humble background. Many of them, you know, were investigative minds, but they... Um, but they felt like they were able to contribute in this space by holding the elites to account for something that, that maybe they didn't, you know, it used to be that only very, very wealthy people went to college. This is not that long ago. This is just before my lifetime. Uh, in my dad's lifetime, it was very unusual that people like him would go to college. Uh, the reason he went is because he was so poor, they actually wanted some diversity of thought at that time. Go figure it out. Um, so this this article says, as Red State reported, Joe Biden got caught red-handed with a cheat sheet while giving a press conference on Wednesday, obviously a little bit after our show on Wednesday. Uh, this time was a bit different than the past occurrences, as I just noted. Uh, Biden's previously been observed having a pre-approved list of reporters in hand, as well as outlines spelling out every syllable that he's supposed to utter. This time was a little bit more concerning because he had the actual question that the reporter was set to ask him. And as Bonchi says, he's never seen that. I've never heard of that before. It is so bizarre that you would want to ask somebody something and tee them up with the answer. In fact, as someone who's been interviewed a lot in the last six months, let's say seven months, I was doing a quick calculation. There were weeks when I did 25 media hits. That's what they call them. A hit is just a time that you're going to pop up and, and be on the shows. I did 25 in a week, which is crazy. Five a day sometimes for the full week. Um, they would range anywhere from a three or four minute interview on television to a 15 minute interview 
on a uh, on a radio show to an hour long podcast. I mean, I was doing all this stuff. I never, never ask them for questions in advance. I don't want it. And if you're serious and you actually want to give information that is truthful, you don't need the information in advance, what they're going to ask you, because either you know the answer or you don't. In my case, it's much easier for me not to know the answer because I'm going to give you something real. I'm going to give it to you raw at that time. I'm going to give you a new reflection because I've thought about it and I haven't rehearsed an answer. But our president right now is so feeble-minded that he needs these things in advance spelled out. And I wouldn't be shocked to find out that uh, they've practiced the answers to these sort of things too, which is really, really sad. So you see the uh, the RNC Research Council, if you're watching on our Rumble channel, you can see that uh, we're scrolling through here. It is an actual photograph, and I don't want to click through the Twitter link. It'll it'll throw off our, our website here, but it's the picture. It's a photographic representation of the reporter who's going to be talking to him. It is a, um, a syllabic breakdown of this woman's last name, which, fair enough, it is actually somewhat complicated. I wouldn't hate that, but um, generally speaking, it's kind of like a you in the back. Yes, you with the dark hair. Go ahead. Uh, you know, who are you with? So there was a time when you used to handle these kind of things, and it made sense. So she literally must have submitted her entire question. And the question, you know, it's not that crazy. It says, how are you squaring your domestic priorities, like uh, reshoring semiconductor manufacturing with alliances, uh, you know, alliance-based foreign policy? Uh, and then obviously, like I said, pictures, questions, just just craziness. Monchi um, goes on and gives his kind of analysis on here. But this is a man, if you've watched him, I know that, uh, I think it was Bongino that said it the other day, it, the guy is struggling to walk. He's scared of a patch of grass. He's out walking, and it looks like every step could be his last. It's really scary to see someone that is so feeble, both feeble in mind, feeble in body, uh, yelling angrily, his uh, his his release. Obviously, the guy's going to be running for re-election, which is probably going to be a big problem for the Democrats if the elections are fair. Um, and I think that plenty of us have concerns and questions about whether that's going to be the case. Why would you be running somebody that is so feeble, that is so frail? Uh, he's not that much older than than uh, former President Trump, you know. And Trump's out there golfing and and you know walking around and glad handing people and high fiving and being Trump. And you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not real crazy about people in that age bracket running this country because there was a time and a pretty recent time that we would say, look, you have a base of knowledge, you have a base of information, and why don't you be someone who is an advisor, someone who is a statesman, and uh, stay out of this and let people who are a little bit younger that have more skin in the game. You know, I'm not super crazy about somebody who's a grandfather and has grandchildren because grandchildren, you know, grandparents have different looks at the world than people who have young children, people in my age bracket, people in the 30s and 40s and, you know, people that have kids that are old enough to go to high school, you know, in their 50s, things like this. Like, it's a very different game, the way that you look at the world when you have children that are still coming up in it. Um, unfortunately, that's not who's running this country at this moment. And uh, and that's assuming that Joe Biden is running the country at all, right? Which we can't uh, necessarily say. So here's another thing. We talk about mental uh, feebleness. I'm going to switch over here to another article. Um, this is from New York Post. Josh Christensen reporting, saying that uh, Biden can't recall a recent trip to Ireland, seems to forget uh, Hunter's love child during Q&As with kids. You got to love the uh, the New York Post. They always like stick it to you a little bit with a jab. There was a long time that uh, I think there's been comedy routines done about it where they talk about how like, you know, uh, if you're a small person, they're called tots. They have all these like funny little nomenclatures when you read the post. But uh, this article starts off, no wonder President Biden needs a cheat sheet, as we just talked about. Uh, the 80-year-old commander-in-chief has difficulty remembering his recent trip to Ireland Thursday and being grilled by kids. And so literally he says, uh, "Last, the last country I traveled to, I'm trying to think of the last one I was in. And he, and he just has a verbal stall in the middle of talking to these children. And one of the kids yells, Ireland. And he said, yeah, how did you know that? <laughs> it's scary as hell. It is one of the scariest things to think that the guy, you know, some of us don't know what we ate for breakfast in the morning. But at the end of the day, I think most of us, most of us actually know what we ate for breakfast if you gave us 12 seconds. Now, this is a guy who's been in public life for 50 years. He has spent a ton of time out in front of us, um, you know, in an elected position and answering questions and glad handing people, you know, that is the thing that they, that this guy does This is what he does for a living. And he's not good at it anymore. 
And there's a reason why people retire. Sometimes it's because they've done all the things they need to do. I think that could be argued. And the other reason is that, look, I don't have it anymore. Like you don't play football when uh, when you no longer have your your ability to pass, when you can no longer scramble and you're going to get hit. And I don't even watch sports that much, but I, you know, I know things that you got to pick a time and you got to make a graceful exit. This man didn't do it. So a lot of people have called it elderly abuse. I watched these, uh, the debates that he was in, in uh, 2020 or 2019, as he was running up to that, that uh, election cycle. And they were horrific. I'm going to go a little bit off topic here for just a second and talk about the primaries. I know people in this country have been fighting about the idea that, that Trump shouldn't face a primary. They're also saying this on the, uh, on the Democrat side. I think that's terrible. Just want to go on the record and say that primaries are important, even though they're ugly, even though they're gross. There's a reason why we do them. The reason is, is that the people are supposed to have an opportunity to show. And and it can be a very overwhelmingly supportive thing. When you put people into the, the fire early against their own ideas, we hone out a platform that's better. And when I say we, I'm talking as a conservative independent. I want to see people argue for their ideas in front of their peers and make the best argument so that we move that person forward. And if it turns out to be President Trump, fantastic. If it turns out to be uh, someone else, so be it. I think there's a lot of mediocre names that are in the hat, but some of those people can push forward one good idea. And if that's all they do, sometimes that's what these campaigns are about, these primary campaigns. You push it forward in order to advance one thing. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy has talked about defunding the FBI or possibly even eliminating the thing. That's something I want to see in the conversation. Uh, we've heard RFK Jr. get into the thing and they're trying to avoid him. Imagine RFK, who you know has a difficult time speaking. You can tell that uh, some of the words that he has are strained, but the man is intelligent. He's articulate. He's spot on on some of the things about the, the COVID tyranny that went on in this country. And so making someone like Biden account for the uh, the executive order mandate that they had, that'd be fantastic for a guy like me. I would love to see that happen. Um, and it is what it is. And in the meantime, they're going to I'm just watching this article over here. I'm not even going to play the video of it just because it kind of grosses me out. But it uh, sounds like Trump is facing additional pressure. There's a federal grand jury that's been convened. We know about that. And uh, and Mike Pence here, we'll, we'll flip up here. So this is what I, I watch stuff like this, CNN politics and uh, the video. Well, let's just give it a second. I'll, I'll run the video for a sec only because it's pretty gross. Hopefully it'll play out. Should Donald Trump be that Mike Pence was being questioned for five hours before a grand jury today. What about that testimony could concern him? In a word, John, very, very nervous, right? So, and we know that because Donald Trump made uh, uh, significant efforts to try to block that testimony by again, raising claims of executive privilege, which failed. So the significance of the Pence testimony can't really be overstated. As we know from the work of the January 6th committee, there were numerous lines of potential criminal conspiracies that the committee looked into, but two of them involved putting pressure on Mike Pence. One, to pressure Pence to to refuse to certify the election at all. And the second line of attack was to pressure Pence to delay the certification of the election. We know that there were meetings about those topics between Pence and Trump on January 4th, on January 5th, and then of course the infamous uh, outrage phone call from Trump to Pence on the morning of January 6th. Mike Pence has likely provided intricate, direct first-person testimony about the substance of those conversations. And after relating this... I'm going to stop that right there because here's something really funny. So this is Andy McCabe. He's the former um, acting director of the FBI, a deputy director as well. Um, so number one and number two at the FBI. And then also, you know, accused of a felony and drummed out and lost his pension. It was restored. What a nice thing. Andy McCabe is all that's wrong in the FBI. He was a mediocre agent from all accounts, basically rose his way up through management, didn't work a case for probably 15 plus years before he was sitting in the director chair. Um, these guys, if you listen to some of our older updates and some of our older interviews, um, George Hill said that there was multiple Andes that started at the same time in the New York field office when Andy McCabe came up. And uh, this, the old joke was, is like any Andy could do this kind of thing, which is to say he was very generic. He was very um, unremarkable in his skill set. And he's pretty vanilla. Uh, he's not a hateable guy per se, except what he's decided to come out and say. What I think is really, really, really funny about that particular little clip is that he gave a little bit of background. Fine. That's what they bring you on to talk about. But what's his analysis? What's he going to really dig into? Uh, he's a minute and 13 seconds, and he's basically given almost no information, except that Mike Pence has likely given certain information to a grand jury, and then he's going to do this thing. Um, <laughs> He's likely given information to a grand jury. The reason why no one knows what the grand jury situation looks like is because grand jury proceedings are secret. So we have no idea 
We have absolutely no idea what in the world uh, was testified to. We don't know what was asked. We don't know what was presented. All of this stuff is nonsense. It was all made up. And so, you know, that's the, that is the actual definition of the talking head. When you bring somebody on who just starts saying words out of their face hole and none of these things have anything to back it up. He doesn't have any expertise. He doesn't have any insight. If some, you know, I've been asked a couple of times to comment on things that are outside of my lane, outside of my wheelhouse, things that I don't have experience in or that I don't have any special knowledge of. It's like, uh, hey, do you want to comment on this? Um, most recently, Jesse Waters producer asked me if I would stay on and talk about something. And the answer is, what do I know about that? Why, why would you want me? Like, you've got qualified people. You've got experts in, you know, legal process and so on. I'm not that guy. Like, let's just save it. Like, I, I'm happy to be bumped off a show and not speak. These people are out there. They have to be notified or they have to keep their, their profile high in order to mean something, which is kind of pathetic. All right. I'm going to pivot to our, our talking, uh, you know, the article. Sorry, the, uh, the main sort of focus of today's show, which is going to be about FOIA. It's going to be about the Freedom of Information Act. But first, I want to thank our sponsors, talking about people who do know something about what's going on in the world, who do stay in their lane. This is my uh, Patriot Tumblr. There it is. It's from Patriot Coolers. You can see it right there if you're watching. Bam. It says Patriot right on there. These things have 13 stars. Uh, sorry, 13 stripes, just like our flag, just like the one behind me. And it's got uh, 50 stars on the bottom. I dig the way they they shape them. I dig the way that it handles I like that it fits into my my cup. I like the price point on these things. These are really, really good. They've got a nice finish too. Um, I drop all of my items. I drop almost everything that I have when I'm not paying attention, including my weapons. So they all have to be durable. I'm, I'm a big fan of having a tool that makes sense. This is a good tool. And uh, if you want to go to patriotcoolers.com, you can get 10% off using promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, 10% off. It's free shipping over 50 bucks. Here's the other one I brought up because we just used this the other day. I brought this up into my little studio spot here. Check this guy out. This is a, a, a thermal backpack. It's got some little pockets on there. It's really light. It's really easy to move around. It's got, you know, I've got this thing full of granola bars right now. Um, you've got some space in here. You could use it as a diaper bag, carry some extra baby stuff because we got babies. Uh, it's just a really useful tool and it keeps your lunch cold in there. So we pack all of our snacks. I took it when I did cross-country driving. You never know when you're going to need something that's easy to move around. Not everybody needs a cooler that's going to be, you know, like a big rotomolded thing. Although Patriot Coolers has those too. You could buy the big deal one if you want to go and, you know, go on a big camping trip or you want to put a, uh, you know, a quarter of an elk in there or something. But um, it's just a really good product. It's a good company. They give money to uh, to disabled vets. They support these guys that have mobility issues and help retrofit their houses. They've given almost $400,000 to charity in doing that. So, um, you know, support Patriot Coolers if you're interested. If you're in that market, check them out. Uh, they uh, renewed for another month with us, which is pretty cool. It's uh, a company taking a chance on us, just like you are taking a chance on spending your podcast time listening to our show. So thanks so much to them. Again, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, will get you 10% off. 50, 50 bucks or more is free shipping. So good stuff. Okay, um, let's talk about FOIA. What in the heck? And why is it up? Why am I talking about FOIA today? Here's why. Because yesterday, uh, I got I got uh, uh, contact from people over at the Catholic Vote Organization, and this is going to be sort of their story at this moment. Um, I see you guys in the in the chat over there talking about the OG Green Cup. The, they call it Army Green, not OD, but it is, it's a great cup. Yeah, here it is. Still rolling. So DOJ sued for failing to comply with FOIA over anti-Catholic memo. Uh, some of you will remember that that memo, that it's actually an intelligence product, was uh, something that I disclosed. I wrote an article about it. It was over at UncoveredDC.com. It got picked up big. It's something that uh, my buddy Stephen Friend refers to as one of the thermal exhaust ports that the FBI exposed, exposed themselves in the same way that the Death Star was exposed to, to being taken down because it is really, really a big problem when your federal law enforcement agency starts getting itself involved in religion. It's not the first time, but we better stop it sooner than later because just because they were getting into mosques as someone appropriately argued, in fact, I think Sebastian Gork and I argued about it. Um, argued is the wrong word. We, we had a discussion about it, but he said, you know, there is at least documented instances of terroristic plots being hatched out of mosques. And of course he's correct. You know, radical Islam in this country uh, can be a problem. There's no question that there are some nice human beings out there in the world, but there are certainly some really awful people that are occupying and and, um, and radicalizing people in mosques. And I've followed some of them. So I can attest to their their dedication to what they were doing. People that were training in, in manuals of arms, people that were out doing move to contact drills, working in uh, private spaces, trying to get themselves prepared for whatever they were preparing for. Uh, unfortunately, I don't 
necessarily like the idea of people sporting arms once they've pled uh, or pledged their allegiance to ISIS. So that's where you lose me on the Second Amendment piece of this thing. Otherwise, you know, 100% arm yourself, do whatever you want to do. I don't care what your ideology is. When you start uh, pledging yourself to a foreign terrorist organization, things get a little bit screwy. So in this case, uh, this is uh, Brianna. I cannot pronounce her last name. Hurley looks like. Uh, says this is their exclusive because they actually broke the story. So Fox News, good on them, uh, came forward with this. They also brought the president of Catholic vote on to talk, which I won't play his video because we're going to quote some of it in here anyhow. The Justice Department and the FBI are facing a lawsuit from Catholic lobbying group that uh, for allegedly failing to comply with a Freedom of Information Act request about the memo that originated from a FBI field office labeling Catholics as violent extremists. So the organization, as I said, it's called Catholic Vote. You can go to catholicvote.org. Someone asked me the other day on Twitter, hey, can I contribute to this? Can I help them with this lawsuit? This is a big deal to me. If you're a Catholic or if you're someone who cares about religious liberty and you want to donate to them, um, they are a 501c3 and a 501c4, as my recollection um, goes. So they, they, they'll they accept donations, and you can certainly tag that it's because of the FOIA that you want them to, to be able to be victorious in this lawsuit. Um, catholicvote.org. So along with Judicial Watch, so they've partnered up. Uh, these are two really great organizations, by the way, Judicial Watch and Tom Fenton. They do excellent work trying to expose documents. I was actually on a, uh, I was actually on a, a podcast the other day where I was sitting with the founder of Judicial Watch who has moved on to another thing that's called, I think, uh, Freedom Watch. In any case, uh, good organizations all around. And uh, these people filed a lawsuit on Thursday saying that they, they, they've exhausted all of their remedies for FOIA requests with the agencies and that after initial correspondences with, with the group, the DOJ basically cut off communications, and they haven't been in touch since April 6th. This is not uh, uncommon. We're going to talk about why in just a moment. The lawsuit is uh, basically looking for the, the leak of the memo, which the Richmond Field Office put out, which they put out internally, and I exposed externally. Uh, the memo identified radical traditionalist Catholics as a potential racially motivated violent extremist. Now, we'll know those people as white supremacists. That's just what they must internal FBI code, you got to uh, you got to call it what it is. And then according to the complaint, the group uh, was requesting text messages and emails between DOJ and, uh, and FBI officials that included terms like Catholic. Okay, so this is what they were specifically looking for. When you do a FOIA, you've got to get very minute. And this is why it's kind of difficult to do. So you need, uh, they included terms like Catholic, Latin Mass, Radical Traditionalist Catholics, Pope Francis, Rosary, and some other things. These are the keyword searches that they were looking to find. Okay. Oh, there's Chris Wright. Look at that guy. What is he saying? He said, I'm actually not that tall. I'm as tall as, as my hand is. We, we, uh, I tweeted something the other day too, cause he said something about how the FBI never, you know, never looks into religion just for the sake of religion, full stop. And, uh, my buddies and I talk about how that's like really his tell that he's telling you a lie. So I think he's telling you a lie. <laughs> I'll just say it right there. The FBI does look into people for their religious things. Some of it has been because they were Muslim. There's no question about it. That actually started in the post 9-11 era. Uh, it is actually, some of those cases have made it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, basically, under the FISA um, and under national security protocols, that's acceptable, which should really concern you. Congress needs to act and make better laws, and they need to tighten up some of these loopholes because they are using it as a workaround. We'll talk about those in a second, too. Anyway, the initial FOIA request was made on uh, March the 8th. Uh, I actually exposed the document in early February. So, you know, they spent about a month getting their, their ducks in order, and then they uh, went out there and, and requested it. The FBI normally has 20 business days to respond uh, with an uh, additional 10 for unusual circumstances, which they always use. Um, pretty pretty easy way to talk about this. So I got, uh, what did I get? I, I requested a evaluation of the retaliation that I faced as a whistleblower. And uh, I requested it in September and they said, we'll get back to you by November. And then in, before November started, they said, well, it's gonna be December, we're really busy. We can't decide whether or not we can do the thing you asked. And then in uh, early December, they pushed it back to January and January to February. They pushed it all the way back to April. So I requested it in September with a with a return date, basically three months, and it ended up being almost seven months, eight months before they they said, sorry. Uh, we have no jurisdiction over the thing that we're the only agency that has jurisdiction over. This is the way the federal government works in these things. And that's why this is the, the freedom part of the freedom of information is in fact a myth. No question in my mind. Totally mythological, unfortunately. Uh, I'm going to read a couple other quotes here. This is from uh, Catholic Vote President Brian Birch. He says, our weaponized and corrupt government agencies here, we'll highlight it right there. Boom. 
uh, have demonstrated a pattern of contempt for justice and for rule of law by prioritizing partisan ideologies and agendas over the protection of the American people, particularly those with whom they disagree politically. Uh, again, that's Brian Birch from Catholic Vote. 100%, Brian. 100%. We now have a weaponized federal government, and there is no question in my mind, I say it very comfortably as someone who worked within the federal government and as someone who has seen the way that it's working, and there is just no reason that they should be withholding this information. There's no reason that they should be targeting people that are political opponents. It's uh, it's really, really ugly. It's one of the ugliest things we could do. There was another follow-up story that was out here. This is a story from Daily Wire. This is Brandon Dre is the reporter there. Um, Brandon Dre and I talked. He, he reached out to me when this when the first story broke on Fox, and he asked me if I would give him a comment. So I did, and, uh, and I'll read you the comment that I gave them in a moment here. But uh, just reporting as of yesterday, he says... Faith-based advocacy group Catholic Vote filed a lawsuit against the Justice Department failing to uh, provide Freedom of Information Act. I'm skimming here for you all because we don't need to see all of it. Once again, Leak Membo talking about radical traditionalist Catholics. RTCs. Some people are running a a hashtag, hashtag RTC or hashtag RTC harder, which is kind of funny. Um, All of this stuff is, all it's saying is they're disrespectful of what the FBI represents at this point. And, uh, you know, lampooning them is one of the funniest things that you can do. It's one of the most important things you can do to push back against them. So uh, once again, this is because of the delay. They're talking about the 20 days, the 10 days for unusual circumstances. They've exceeded the 30 plus days. It's obviously going to happen. And um, they use the same quote from Brian Burtz. This was a good one that came out of his Fox News hit. Um, so here it is. There's Kyle Serafin. It's always funny to see your name in print. I got to tell you, it is a very strange thing when you are actually both making news and reporting about it. And uh, and that's the world I find myself in. So, so it says, last month, FBI whistleblower Kyle Serafin, yours truly, published a leaked document from the Bureau's Richmond field office that explicitly points to, quote, racially or ethically motivated violent extremists and radical traditionist Catholic ideology, and through tripwires and liaisons, which are trusted contacts, Seraphin noted, the FBI can employ threat mitigations such uh, against such groups ahead of the next election. And, and if you don't recall this, if you're new to our show, if you don't uh, follow this particular part of the news, I've actually got the document up here in front of me. You can't see it, but I'll... Uh, Maybe I can switch it over. Let me see if I can switch it over for you all. I think it'd be worth looking at. Let's let's see. I think that's underneath uh, preview. There it is. Yeah. Let's take a look at that. So here's the original document. Okay. This is the document that I received. You can all see it on the screen at this point. If you're watching on Rumble, check it out. If you're not watching on Rumble, uh, then go ahead and take a look at our Rumble channel. And the timestamp here is around 27 minutes long or so. Uh, you can see the actual document itself. It's dated the 23rd of January. And this is this is exactly what I got. I, I did a search for uh, Richmond, so let me get rid of those search terms. Um, executive summary. Let me just tell you exactly what it said, what the FBI said in their own words, and then you can just make your own assessments, and then we'll talk a little further, okay? So here it goes. Uh, FBI Richmond assesses the increasingly observed interest of racially or ethically motivated violent extremists in radical traditionalist Catholic ideology almost certainly presents opportunities. This is the part that's a problem. Presents opportunities for threat mitigation through the exploration of new avenues for tripwires and source development. Uh, So let's see. Tripwires, what are those? Those are overt contacts in the public sphere. You go out and you meet somebody. Let's say you ran a gun store and I thought people were going to be buying guns and doing straw purchases. So I would go and talk to you as a gun store owner. I would tell you that I'm a federal agent. I would say, hey, I'm interested in this thing. If you see people that are making sketchy purchases, I want to stop them. You want to stop them. You don't want to be the guy who sold the gun to a bad guy. So let's fix this. Uh, Give me a buzz. Here's my card. You can call me anytime or email me. That's a tripwire. And so what happens is if somebody were to trip that tripwire, which is to say they went and did the thing that was illegal that, you know, or, or gave weird instances that felt like you were doing something illegal, then they can make that call overt. And we would just say, yeah, we got a phone call from this gun store owner. He said this thing. So we can talk about that plainly and openly. It is an overt contact. Um, source development. That's a little bit more concerning. A source development is talking about confidential human sources. Some people call them confidential informants. The FBI, CHS is the term of art. And a CHS development is, it's when you go out and you recruit somebody to snitch or spy or whatever you want to call it, report on people that are around them, but they do it in a covert manner. They do it in a non-disclosable manner. And we protect the identity as best we can as a law enforcement agency so they can give us information. Well, why in the world 
would you assume that there's a radical traditionalist Catholic ideology that such a thing exists to begin with, which I'm not confident is real? And then secondarily, that uh, that they would have anything to do with white supremacists, which is antithetical not just to Catholics, but it's antithetical to Christianity. It's it's insane. It's a really really bad take. There's nothing in the gospel that would be able to uh, to back this up. So very strange, very strange take. But source development is the big issue. And then this is the other kind of fun thing. Richmond field office makes the assessment with high confidence based on FBI investigations, local law enforcement agency reporting, and liaison reporting. Again, that's going to be overt with varying degrees of collaboration and access. Uh, and then it goes on a little bit further. This is kind of interesting. It says it uh, it makes the assessment that they're relying on certain key assumptions. They will find radical traditionalist Catholic ideology attractive. The white supremacists are going to find it attractive for some reason. Uh, and will continue to connect with RTC adherents both virtually on social media and in places of worship in person. So they're acting, you know, they're saying they need to recruit sources. They need to go in there and do such a thing that they uh, they will see an increased racially motivated violent extremist attendance at RTC or traditionalist Catholic places of worship. And that's why they need to put sources in there. Really, really ugly stuff. Super weird, super strange. It is not the way that uh, that things are supposed to work. You're not supposed to put sources in churches simply because you think that there may be some connection there, but they're going to make the argument. And uh, like I said, Chris Ray said, full stop, that's not what's going to happen. Let me, let me go back to the Daily Wire piece over here, and uh, we're going to read what it says. Essentially, uh, the real problem with this document was the original source that they were getting most of their information was from the Southern Poverty Law Center. And anybody who knows anything about the Southern Poverty Law Center knows that it is a discredited partisan hack organization. When I was at Quantico, it was actually taught that you can no longer use that as a source for um, for any sort of uh, significant intelligence product. It's inappropriate. It is not. Uh, it's not rigorous in their their assessments, and they no longer have academic value. And so, when that is the the group that you're going to, you're in a you're in a bad spot. <laughs> Let's just call it what that is. So. Uh, quick little jump over to the story again here. This is a quote from Chris Ray. As I said, here comes the full stop tell. So you listen to it when you're listening to Chris Ray and he says full stop. That's probably a false statement. He said, we do not conduct investigations based on religious affiliation or practices. Full stop. Okay, thanks, Ray. That's good to know. He said, we have now also ordered our inspection division to take a look at how this happened and try to figure out how we can make sure something like this doesn't happen again. So the uh, stages of FBI denial are, are fairly well known to many of you out there. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure that you guys are familiar with it. It's not going to be something that blows your mind, but it looks like something like this. We never did anything that you said. That's the denial. And then the second one is um, we've received this information and we take it very seriously. Okay. And then the rarest time is when they go, these do not meet with our exacting standards and we've taken appropriate actions. So when they're investigating it, they're figuring out how do we go after the person that leaked this document? That's what they're saying. They're saying, we need to figure out who leaked this document and can we destroy them? And I know, I personally know, at least one person has been suspended about this already. It doesn't matter that they got the wrong person. It's not. It doesn't matter that they don't know who they're going after. This happened to my friend Garrett O'Boyle who's now testified in front of Congress. They literally went after Garrett O'Boyle for information that I know for a fact that he was not involved in. They said that he went to the media, and I know for a fact he didn't go to the media. And uh, and the reason is because I know who did go to the media, and I'm not going to tell them because it's none of their damn business. But the fact of the matter is, is that they have such low standards for internal investigations that they don't have to come up with facts in order to attack these people that are trying to expose partisanship and weaponization by this federal government, what they do instead, which is very, very easy, is that they remove security clearances, which is a fundamental underlying condition of FBI employment. And then they remove those people because they say they are no longer suitable for a clearance, which is what they did to me. It's what they did to Steve Friend. It's what they did to Garrett O'Boyle. It's what they did to my buddy, Phil Kennedy. So they've done this to a bunch of people. They've pulled their security clearances and said, you're no longer suitable for a clearance with either suspend them or terminate them outright. They've done it to a guy uh, who was uh, just like a low-level analytical type that was working at CGIS, which is the uh, criminal justice, what are, I don't know what CGIS is. It's in West Virginia. It's where they take all the phone calls. They do the background checks and stuff like that. But uh, uh, there's so many acronyms. You can't remember all of them. Anyway, they told him that he was a security risk. They, they said that he had a psychological problem, that he was a psychological concern case because he refused to get 
the vaccine, and by refusing so, he could lose his job. That was enough for them to say, yeah, you're out. Bad news stuff. Really bad. Uh, once again, the uh, the FBI was, was to, uh, you know, asked about the subpoena that they received, and they, they said they, quote, recognize the important, here it is, we, we take this very seriously, are you ready? The, uh, we recognize the importance of congressional oversight and remain fully committed to cooperating with congressional oversight requests consistent with the constitutional and statutory responsibilities. We take this very seriously, but we're not going to do what we said. It's really gross. Um, and then they also said, we're actively working to respond to these congressional requests for information to produce, and including voluntary production of documents. There's nothing voluntary about the way the FBI produces it unless they want you to. Really bizarre. Brian Birch again quoted here saying, we're demanding transparency for the government. This is the purpose of the FOIA. That's why they're supposed to be there. And they are trying to uncover just how high up this anti-Catholic bigotry goes. Good on Brian Birch for fighting this fight. Most people do not get into it. Luckily, they do have a good ally in Judicial Watch. So what is it that uh, they asked me about it? And I said, here's the simple way to look at it. I said, the only way to force our federal government to obey laws passed by Congress and make them accountable is by suing them. It has to be decided in the courts at this point. They will not do their job. They will not do what they are told voluntarily. They will not follow the obvious plain text of the statutory law. They will look for loopholes. And we're going to talk about those in a very short moment. I said that the FBI's de facto position is to fight FOIA at every single turn. When an agency that enforces the law refuses to be subject to the law, they lose legitimacy in the eyes of the public, like so many of you. I'm sure the FBI has lost some legitimacy. I said, of course, there is no surprise that the FBI doesn't respect the First Amendment. Protected civil liberties are antithetical to the mission of intelligence agencies. For those of you that follow this show and you know that my take is that the FBI is a trans, it's a trans intelligence agency, which is really funny to talk about. A trans intelligence agency tells you that they started off as a law enforcement agency. They transitioned to being an intelligence agency, but they kept the package the package is the arrest authorities of a badge and a gun. That's what they are. So they are a trans organization, sort of silly and funny. Um, let's dig a little bit here into the FOIA. Uh, I know we've been kind of moving along. I think that story is really important. This is why the background on it is, is relevant. So new story up here. This is coming up from an organization called POGO. They are the Project on Government Oversight. You can find them at pogo.org. They are most decidedly left-wing from what I can tell. This is a recent article. I actually found a bunch of articles that they wrote, and some of it's quite good. So um, this person, it's written by, uh, man, Spurnthy Contham. I, I have no idea if I got that one right, but we're going to give it a shot. So this one is The Bridge. It's their newsletter. It's a five-minute read is what they claim. We're going to just hit some of the high points on it. First of all, knowledge is power. They're talking about FOIA. They had their first ever court FOIA win against Department of Homeland Security. It took them five years, five years to win for them to get some information, to get access to stuff that they were they were asking for from the Office of Civil Rights and Civil Liberties, which was a detention complaint records, apparently. they uh, The experts over at Homeland Security, they tried to conceal it. FOIA exemption number five, there are nine FOIA exemptions. Many of you probably are not aware of why these FOIA cases fail, because the, the name of the law sounds really clear, Freedom of Information Act. And Congress is pretty clear about the spirit of it. But instead, it took five years for them to overcome this objection. And uh, and that's a big issue. So the nice thing about this article is it gives some really good context. I found original source documentations. I pulled up the original uh, the code. I, I pulled up some um, historical context on when they actually passed it and all this. But this does a really, really good information dump. Okay. It says the Freedom of Information Act was passed in 1966. It went into effect in 1967, which it does not say. And that was in the middle of a Cold War, giving anybody the right to request access for information and records from any federal agency. Requests go through an, uh, the agency's administrative FOIA officer. And uh, those are sort of like the librarians of the government. Um, they've used this thing to uncover the truth about the F-35 program in the Pentagon. I have no idea what they actually pulled up. This might be an interesting website to go dig deeper into. This was one of the articles. I read probably four articles from them. Uh, I didn't go deep into their reporting, and I'm guessing that they probably are not a big fan of the uh, the government in general and the military based on their sort of leftist take. Anyway, it's a vital tool for transparency. I think we can all agree on that. I definitely do. And FOIA is supposed to give us a window to the government. It provides whistleblowers a workabout for uh, to potentially avoid government retaliation. Yeah, let me know when that works out for you because that's not my experience. <laughs> it doesn't work out at all. Uh, this is the guy, this guy Scott, who is a um, 
Scott Amy, who was their general counsel for Pogo, he said, I had a source inside an agency tell me about their office not releasing information to Pogo. I was able to take one step ahead uh, by requesting specific information the officials attempted to conceal, which they could not ignore, and then uh, and using FOIA, I protected my source. So it's a tool. I've, I've been reached out to by a number of different agencies, including Catholic Vote. And uh, I talked to some of the people that were on their council. I've talked to people from Judicial Watch. I've had people call me uh, that are working on FOIAs regarding uh, ATF, that are working on gun cases. And the key is this. You have to know the names of the systems that you are looking to search. Because what happens is the FBI tries to get around it. And they do this thing. They use one of the exceptions. But they'll do a keyword search, like you asked. And the FBI's record-keeping system is called Sentinel. It's the software system where all the case files go. You know, it's rated to up to and included secret no foreign, which is to say that uh, it is a secret classification system that is below top secret, but it is the top of the, the secret chain. And everything up to and including secret information can be stored there. The uh, The real issue is, is they're going to search that system. There's no public visibility to it whatsoever. There's no personal audit where someone's going to come in from the outside and go, well, you skipped out on these. And they're going to say, yep, there are no results on Sentinel. They'll screenshot that with that picture, and they'll do a direct quote when they do the search, and that's it. But the FBI has many record-keeping systems, as I found out uh, talking to these guys, and they're not all publicly known. And so some of these things are going to pop up in places like um, Skype. There's a Skype system, which uh, is known as Link. L-Y-N-C, I believe, is the name of the, the program. And it's it looks very much like Skype. But it's an instant messaging, video chat, including up to including secret uh, information can be discussed on it. So it's a good tool. But, you know, there's chat records, and the FBI is required to keep them for discovery. And they're the ones who decide whether or not they turn it over and how they turn it over. And in an honest and, and nonpartisan and unbiased law enforcement agency, no big deal. But when they're interested in covering things for their own good, we get into a really dangerous stuff. Uh, this this article goes on to notice that they're in fact they're, that FOIA can be very expensive. You're paying attorneys' fees. You're paying people to go back and forth. There's a lot of uh, search, you know, time, and they're going to make you basically. Uh, you can ask for a fee waiver, but you get estimates that it's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars if you go through attorneys and so on. Um, and there are nine FOIA exemptions, which if you're looking at this website here, I just it's kind of a cool feature. I've never seen that. If you touch it, it, uh, it highlights nine exemptions, and there's a couple of them the most abused and withhold because they want to exemption number five. So we're going to actually jump over to the article they did about how is the most abused. Let's let's quickly read over. I think this is a FOIA.gov. You can actually go and do your own FOIAs. You can file them in. You can request to not have to pay for them because they're in the public interest. There's a couple of ways you can get around for paying for them. Maybe something that's worth your time if you want to look into it. It's FOIA.gov, FOIA.gov. It'll run you through. They've got all these YouTube videos. They're not on Rumble. Uh, but they got some YouTube videos here. What is a FOIA? Who can make a FOIA request? How do I make it? Where do I send it? Do I have to have a special form? What can I ask for? Who handles it? All the things. Very helpful, this government website. Um, how do I appeal? What are the exclusions? Okay. And then there's a whole thing. This little It's the only thing that doesn't have a video. Look at this. The other ones all have videos. Show you some stuff. But uh, the exemptions, no videos. So let's talk about the exemptions. This is going to be under, if you go to, by the way, any government website, if you search in FOIA, you're going to get all the government websites. They all have an office that handles them. So it's another jobs program in a lot of ways. The FOIA, which should be for the people, turns out to be a thing that the government can use to just hire useless administrators that don't answer any questions but do catch a federal paycheck. Maybe there's a little secret there. Uh, in fact... There's some historical documents that we may click through here and see that tell you that uh, the FOIA, in fact, was a replacement for the procedures under the Administrative Procedures Act, which came out in, I think, 1946. And the uh, the APA, the Administrative Procedures Act, that one was bad news. And uh, that's what started delineating a lot of the power out of Congress and into the executive branch. And that's how we ended up with the administrative state, which many people know as the deep state. So um, jobs programs... Shielding information, all bad news. And another thing is this. It was a it was a Cold War era thing. They did update it, I think, in 1995 or 1996. But end of the day, there's a lot of exemptions to be able to hide stuff. So let's talk about what those exemptions are. There are nine of them. I'm going to read them from this, uh, this website right here. It says, number one, properly classified as secret in the instance of national defense or foreign policy. So anything that's classified, you're not going to get access to. That's pretty straightforward. They don't actually have a provision in there that you have to redact it either and then give it out in a redacted way. Uh, bad news. Number two, 
related solely to internal personnel rules and practices. Why would that be? Why would internal personnel rules, practices, policy for for administrative stuff not be available in FOIA? That's a, a agency that's theoretically answerable to the American people. Number two should go, 100%. Number three, specifically exempted by other statutes. There are certain things. These are mostly national defense that I can understand and some law enforcement exceptions, but we'll hear about that in a second. Uh, number four, concerning trade secrets and commercial and or financial information obtained from a person that is privileged or confidential. These are things like the Bank Secrecy Act, uh, Privacy Act that allows you to kind of keep things under control. So you're not supposed to, just because the government has access to your tax information doesn't mean that they can release it to them because they don't own the information. They're responsible for protecting it. That's probably good, unless it's Trump's taxes, in which case they'll just leak it anyway. Uh, number five, privileged interagency or intra-agency memoranda or letters, except in certain circumstances. Why is it privileged? That seems like that should go away too. Uh, once again, the whole point of this is sunshine on our government and a lot of this stuff. Number five, that they just talked about the most abused exception. Um, what they'll say is privileged information is anything that is going to embarrass the agency is what they use exception five for. There's there's significant documentation and experience from people who have been do doing FOIAs that talk about this. Number six, personal and medical files and similar, the disclosure of which would constitute a clearly unwarranted invasion of personal privacy, unless they're giving your information to the New York Times, as I experienced or uh, Steve Friend experienced or both of us or who knows, but uh, they got information about our COVID vaccine status. They got information about disciplinary processes. None of that stuff was none of their business. And they were calling and asking for comments. This is another big one they used to cover. Uh, and I believe law enforcement purpose covered something like 58% of the uh, the exceptions that they they denied in 2022. I think I read that on, on their website as well. I know it was like 56 or 57, but here it is. Exception seven, investigatory, investigatory records compiled for law enforcement purposes. Kind of broad kind of vague. Once again, one of those things they can do. This is the, uh, we can't talk about an ongoing investigation thing. Gross. Number eight, contained in or related to certain examination, operating, or condition reports concerning financial institutions. Those ones I, I tend to be more forgiving of, and I think we probably all can kind of understand. Um, like I said, unless it's Trump's tax records, then they're happy to hand those things out. And the last nine, geological and geophysical information and data, including maps concerning wells. That is a very, very narrow situation to be concerned about. But in theory, what you don't want to do is give infrastructure to the public because that can also go to the enemy and the enemy can make these sort of things. The enemy being any hostile nation, uh, any foreign power, any hostile organization, whether it's aligned with a state or not, can do things like that. So that can be a real problem. And uh, we don't want to see those sort of things. So. This is fun. Department of Justice, quick website look. Here you go. This is this is a classic government thing. It's 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 just so gross. If you if you're looking here, all those exceptions that I have, they all have sub exceptions too. Like 7A, 7B, 7C. These are all the law enforcement stuff. The the biggest uh denial category is exemption 7 for law enforcement and you'll just see this is DOJ's website. So Department of Justice has a Freedom of Information Act guide with a table of contents. This thing is horrific looking. Actually, it's really good that they show you like all these law books up front because that's the that's the picture. And then you go down and it's just like 7A, B, C, D, E, F. There are, there are what is that, six exceptions underneath the law enforcement exception that they can get away with. So on top of this other, you know, eight that exist, you've got another six. So there's 14 plus exceptions that are all uh, pushed around. And then the sort of number five exception again, that interagency or intra-agency threshold requirement. We could jump to that real quick. Let's see what it says. The initial consideration under exemption five is whether a record is the type intended to be covered under the phrase. So they're gonna decide whether it was intended to be covered by the, that phrase. And then based on that, the Supreme Court has also said that the term agency can be defined to mean each authority of the government. Like you see how litigious this stuff gets. This page is 75% footnotes. For those of you that are watching on Rumble, you can see it. 75% of this page is footnotes tying into the legal considerations of it. Very little of it is actually like their analysis. It's just over and over and over citations. This one is probably 60% citations. This one is 80% citations. It is all footnoted citations with so little information. It's it's really bizarre. Uh, that's why FOIA is not free. It's not, it's not something you can actually do. 
if any of you want to take the uh, the government cheat sheet on here, here's a little slideshow. I'll pull this sucker up. This came from justice.gov. Once again, it's a jobs program to deny FOIA, okay? Freedom of Information Act, here it is. They're going to give you these whole things. This is a slideshow. I'm just scrolling through it. I'm not going to read these things. It'll give you sort of the high points on it. Here you go for number five. These are all reasons. This is an internal document, by the way. This is a document that is meant for people that are working at DOJ on how to get away with this stuff. Okay, here's exception five. We talked about that was the most overused, they said. Look how many pages. The other slides, exception four has one, two, three, four, five. Well, it has five slides. And then you get to exemption five. It tells you what it protects. tells you what the crows. That's two. This one's three, four, five, six. It, it just, all these things are how to get away with not giving information over. That's what the government spends its time doing. It doesn't spend a time figuring out how do we give you the information because it's your right. It figures out how do we keep it from you because we don't want to share it. That's not what we're about. And, um, you know, here's another good one. This one's really, this is from Secret Service. They have an entire page. Reasons access may be denied under FOIA. It's just the exemptions. They tell you the exemptions and then they tell you why they're not going to give you this stuff. And you look at these pages and they're, and they're voluminous. I mean, they're multiple pages of just clean text telling you that. The Air Force has one too, by the way. Uh, guide to FOIA exemptions from the Air Force Compliance Division. It doesn't matter what government agency you go to. They will all tell you what they don't have to tell you. They will tell you why they don't have to tell you. Here's another one. This one's from the FAA. This is the Freedom of Information Act exemptions. They will tell you the types and what they're not going to tell you. They love not telling you information, which seems antithetical to the entire existence of FOIA. And that's why it's a myth. HHS. We'll do it one more time. Boom. Here it is. What information is not available under FOIA? Doesn't apply. This one's actually really interesting, I think, because it said, and that's why I put this one in my, my little slide deck here. FOIA does not apply to Congress, the courts, the central offices of the White House. So it, it applies to the government executive agencies that fall underneath it, all the cabinet level positions and below, but not the actual White House. That's kind of interesting, right? Nor does it uh, apply to records in the custody of state or local governments. That makes sense. State governments oftentimes have their own sunshine laws, so they will actually expose this kind of stuff, but they, they don't have to show you anything. Worth noting, I mean, really worth noting is that... Uh, they can do all kinds of wild stuff because, like I said, Congress doesn't have to show it. Your um, your your executive agencies have to put it out there. But um, when it comes to whether or not you're going to actually get any records from the courts or any of this stuff, they they hide all this stuff on purpose. It's I mean it's by design. All right, I promise that's that's all I want to say about FOIA. It, it is not a thing that is designed to be user-friendly. Everybody who uses it knows how tough it is and how you have to be very specific and granular. And at the end of the day, just like the folks at Catholic Vote, you have to plan on having a lawsuit. It has to happen. It's really the only way you can do this stuff. And um, so when you file it, just know the odds of you getting something back is you're, you're panning for gold, essentially. And you're going to get a very small nugget if you get anything at all. Too bad. It's a bummer, but it is out there. You can go to pogo.org if you want to read more, read more about FOIA. They seem like pretty into it. Obviously, Judicial Watch has a lot on it as well. And uh, lastly, we're going to bring up this last story. It's another story from Brandon Dre. So um, like I said, I, I interact with Brandon Dre fairly frequently. I like when he writes stuff. I like it when he writes things that are in the culture. There's been a, a bunch of talking points about guns and about uh, kids. It's all about the kids. We're worried about guns because of the kids. And... Um, it's really not a fair argument because the people that are all in on the gun control also tend to be all in on the pro-abortion. We're, we're, you know, they want to say, well, you can't be pro-life and pro-gun. Yeah, of course I can. Of course I can. If you're an honest actor, you understand that that's the case. Why is that the case? Because uh, I have children. I have several. <laughs> I got three right now. We've got another one coming right now, actually. So I'm going to have four kids and I want them to be able to survive and be safe. And that's why I carry a gun every day. I live in a place with constitutional carry, which is the way, which is to say that the Constitution guarantees your right to carry. No permit is required. Very important. And uh, we are going to carry weapons to be able to protect our children because it's the most important asset that we have in the world. So, uh, end of the day, there's nothing that is against the pro-life position about owning weapons and carrying weapons, regardless of whatever Canadians or South Africans want to get into my Twitter you feed and try to push back against it. You're not convincing anybody. In fact, you're going to make me buy another gun. I'm going to probably look at a Texas-based gun because I really like staccatos. 
Let's uh, bring up this article here. This is uh, this is the real headline. This is something that you can discuss. Planned Parenthood aborted nearly 375,000 children last year in mostly elective abortions. These were not emergencies. These were elective. So again, Brandon Dre uh, reporting that two days ago, this was just after our Wednesday show, Planned Parenthood aborted more than 375,000 unborn children last year, setting another record for the organization as elective abortions remain the leading cause of death for children in the United States. It's the leading cause of death for, for people under the age of 18, 375,000 children. I know Ben Shapiro said it at one point in time, and I think that it is true. Our first civil war in this country was fought over slavery, which was a failure. It was an absolute failure to recognize the definition of personhood extended to black Americans. And there's a real possibility that this, this civil war that they, uh, they've been fighting slowly, it's an information war in a lot of ways, but the Dobbs decision was a big piece of it. This is the second civil war in America, and it is about whether or not we recognize unborn children as persons as well. So um, two fundamental sins. It's really the same sin as a failure to recognize personhood. And um, it is is going to haunt this country. I think we will look back at a very, very barbaric time. Uh, again, Brandon Dre saying, in, in the wake of the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision, uh, which fundamentally changed the abortion landscape across the nation, at least 14 states have outlawed abortions with a few of them, uh, with few to no exceptions. I had somebody reach out. Actually, Kim Iverson was 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 uh, talking about how it's it's really wrong that you've got uh, people celebrating the six week you know abortion ban bill in Florida and said uh, you know if you support this then I hope that your teenage kid either gets pregnant or knocks somebody up and uh, and that if you don't want that then you're not pro life. It's like no 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 no. You can be pro life and you can still say you want people to make better decisions and not uh, endure the consequences of bad decisions. That is a really easy pro-life position. We don't wish bad things on, but if something happens, then we say that you raise the kid. It's very easy. Um, That's all I want to say about that. 375,000 deaths last year. When you're talking to people who are in the the, the anti-gun range and it's for the children, then get them on abortion and ask them real quickly. Because I'd be happy to say that if it came to giving up guns, if it would save, if, if we were down to the last thing, we've, we've eliminated drunk driving, we've eliminated abortion, we've eliminated heart disease, we've eliminated death from diabetes and the, and sort of the, the uh, hypertension and, and, and um, all the comorbidities that exist with people having unsafe lifestyles, preventable deaths, right? Uh, and we were just down to the last preventable cause and it was guns, then we could have a conversation about getting rid of guns. I'd have that conversation with you, but not until we handle everything on the list above it. And if they're not going to talk about abortion, I don't want to talk about anything. Uh, this says on average, what in the world? What a stat. Hold, hold on. I just got to read this. According to Life News Analysis, Planned Parenthood performed 1,025 abortions daily, or basically one every 84 seconds. That's an average. That is just something you can think about every minute and a half. Uh, another abortion in this country. Insane. Really, really insane. And barbaric practices. It's a... It's something that just really disgusts me, something I've grown to be disgusted about. It's not something that I grew up thinking all the time. I didn't have a lot of thoughts about it until after I was a parent. So, uh, Folks, you've been listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. This is, again, Friday the 28th. So thanks so much for joining us for the Friday show. Working on what the uh, interview is going to be for Monday. It might be a little bit later. We may actually do like another live show on Monday and uh, bring you the interview later in the week. I'm going to kind of move formats around when it makes sense. I've got uh, Mike Benz on the, on the list of people who's going to come out and uh, discuss censorship. Big, big topic, post-Twitter files world. I think it's worth knowing about government censorship. He's been a leading activist on the front of it, and he was a former senior official of the State Department. So um, already agreed with him that we're going to get something set up, and I think that'll be really important. Uh, please feel free to to like this podcast if you're listening on Rumble. If you are uh, on Apple or Spotify or any of those places, you can click through the links and uh, give us a five-star review on Apple. I'm going to read you one of the uh, reviews right now. So if you leave us a good long form, one of these things, then uh, I'll read it on the air. And this guy actually said, you don't have to. So this is enjoyed the Fox hunt info. This is asked for nickname, but it was taken. That's the name of the person asked for nickname. Um, I'll tell you, you'll see why I want to read this in a second. He said, I was just thinking, and you don't have to read this on the air or nothing because it might be too long. But when I was in SF, that special forces, our ODA, had information that we would uh, look at once in a while in order to update our target folders and that sort of things. Then we would go up to HQ and go into the skiff 
And there was always one of these young kids that worked in there in the military intelligence section that was a custodian of records. And when you completed your work, we handed it to the kid and he would put it back into one of the many safes that were in there. And then uh, we would go out the door. I wondered if this if this airman, this is uh, Jack uh, Tessiera, um, I'm probably butchering his name too, was uh, fulfilling that capacity. It's an interesting thought. Was he a custodian of records for somebody else's information? Granted, most of the information is now electronic, but there were still paper copies. We weren't allowed to see or keep or read maps or anything that other SFODA missions were involved in, but this kid would have had access to everything, this kid being the, the custodian of records. I'm not sure why a National Guard outfit would have strategic level stuff, but who knows? I've really enjoyed your podcast, and uh, thanks so much, Dave. Dave, I appreciate you uh, having that thought on there. Folks, we sometimes learn things from our five-star reviews. We are really appreciative that you are out there um, watching it. If you're in the uh, the chat right now and you want to drop a comment on the Rumble channel, that actually boosts the algorithm too. So if anybody who's in there in the chat, I've seen you guys going back and forth. We'll talk about the Postal Service on another day for sure. Uh, I, I did catch that question pop through. I'll review the chat, and if we got some good questions, we'll, we'll hit them up on Monday or, or on Wednesday of next week. But uh, drop us a comment. Uh, again, thanks so much for joining us. I'm really appreciative of your attention and your time. And we will see you again after the weekend. Have a great weekend, everybody. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.